you can open with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. So Luke chapter 2. And welcome if you are new here or haven't been here the last uh, few weeks. Welcome to week 4 of what we are calling our Messengers series where we are walking through the message that the angel gave to the shepherds on that first Christmas night. And as we've kind of laid the foundation, other than the Holy Spirit, um, angels are the most pivotal players in the drama that we know as the Christmas story. Um, you may not have realized it, but it's primarily through um, angels that we learn the significance of Jesus' birth. And as we have said from week one, not only is this the angel's message to shepherds, it's also a message to us. And it's a message that we are able to share with others. So we have taken this message, basically Acts, uh, or excuse me, from uh, Luke 2, 8 through 11, and kind of broken it up into six phrases, fear not, good news, great joy for all people, a Savior, and then Christ the Lord. And we're able to um, hear that message for us and able to share that message with others. And this morning we come to the phrase, for all people. And before we jump in the text, I, I want to begin by doing, doing a little survey. And, and I'm going to ask a series of questions. And what I ask for you is for honesty and, and trust, knowing that some of you don't know me very well and I haven't earned trust with you yet. Um, others of you, though, you do know me, and I pray I have earned that trust. Um, if I haven't yet, then we're in trouble. Um, but let's get started and just see where the Lord takes us. I'm going to ask questions. If this applies to you, just, just raise your hand as a testimony to, to that. So how many of you grew up in Christian homes? So a large majority. So how many of you did not grow up in Christian homes? Okay, so how many of you, um, you grew up in Christian homes, but you hit a season where it was mama and daddy's faith and it wasn't your faith, so you set out to kind of take your own journey, discover um, yourself, you played a little bit, you partied a little bit, and then by the grace of God, you came back. Okay, so that, that is a, a good majority as well. How many of you um, came to know Christ, you became a believer before um, your 20th birthday? So that's a large number. How many um, after 20? How many after 30? How many after 40? So we'll, we'll stop there for the sake of going anywhere else. Um, so just think about that. And just, um, here's what I want us to understand. You know, just for the, the picture here, there's a lie that has been given that says that faith only comes or salvation only comes to a certain type of person. There's a certain type of person that God saves, and Satan convinces people all the time that they're not that type, um, that they're not the kind of person that could be saved. Let's go a little further and just continue to trust me here. So how many of you have a past um, that has drugs and alcohol in it? There's some there, and, and then the next one, how, how many of us would say that there is some form of abuse in our, our background? So there, there's those as, as well. And um, just think about that. Think about that picture of who God saves, and is there just one type of person? Let's keep this going. How many of you were not born in the South? So not born in the South, you know, according to the bumper sticker, you got here as quick as you could. So we, we, we welcome you, and, and, and thank you for coming, but you weren't born in the South. Was anybody here not born, um, not, not, or born in a different country? Anybody born in a different country? Very good. We have one of those. So think about this. There's a myth that there's a certain type of person that becomes a Christian. And even in this small sample size, we realize that's not 
true. God saves, and here's the beauty of it, God saves from all walks of life, and that truth, that singular truth, continues to blow my mind in so many ways because of how God goes about saving us. God isn't in need of a particular set of circumstances in order to save people, meaning you don't have to be born in Billy Graham's household in order for him to save you, and you don't have to be strung out on drugs for 10 years in order for God to save you either. The beauty is that God graciously and powerfully saves all types of people. Yet here's our problem. Somehow we have become the judge and we think we know who God will and won't save. So therefore, there's some people we will share the gospel with, other people we won't because we think that we know best. And yet we forget the words of the angel on that first Christmas night that Jesus has come, hear it, and you're going to hear it again, for all people. For all people. The angel addresses the shepherds alone, yet he plainly states that the message is a, for a wider extent than just them. It's not just for their private capacity, but it's for others as well. God has promised um, and had promised in Christ that not only would it just be for one person, but for the world, and not just one type of people. When Jesus came, it wasn't just good news for the Jews. It would become good news for every single person on earth and throughout time. This little baby would open up salvation, the door of salvation for all people. Let me say it very plainly this morning, kind of where we're going. Jesus came for all people. Everyone is invited and everyone gets in the same way through him. That is kind of the picture of where we are going today. So we're going to dive into the Word, and we're going to do something a little different. Let me give you a little warning today. We are going to kind of be all over the place. If, if I'm a little jittery, I, I blame Sarah because she got me an extra coffee this morning. Um, so I, big coffee. I'm a little jittery. I already had one big cup, and now I have two. So I feel like jittery. I, this could be like the shortest sermon ever. We'll, we'll see how this goes. But we're going to kind of be all over the place looking at some different passages because I want us to see the beauty of who Jesus came to save. And I want you today, maybe for the first time, to understand that you are included that you're included. You're included in why Jesus came. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to look at Luke 2. Just We're going to look at 8 through 11 today and then see where the Lord takes us together. So beginning at verse 8, it says this, And in the same reason there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we rejoice in the fact that you have sent your Son for us. And as we just sang, he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God with us. He was God with us then. And Lord, you are still with us now. And not only are you with us, you are in us through your spirit. Holy Spirit, speak to the hearts of your people today. And for any that are in this place of worship that don't know you. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask for your convicting power. We ask, God, for you to draw them to 
yourself today in a way that will bring glory and honor to your name. Father, help us to see in a fresh and a new and a beautiful way that Jesus came for all people, for all types of people, for um, every type is included. Help us to see that and rejoice in that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. So when we think about the angel's birth announcement saying that Jesus came um, for all people, we need to appreciate that and understand that the Bible isn't saying here that God is a universalist, which some people kind of teach that God um, gave his son and therefore in the end God's going to save everybody, whether that person puts their faith in Christ or not. And think about this, the God of the Bible, although he is not willing that any should perish, he is not going to save every single person without exception. He only saves those who repent and believe. So we have to understand that God is not a universalist and in the end because he sent his son, you're in. No, you have to repent and you have to believe. So what the birth announcement of this angel is saying is that the God of the Bible shows no partiality in saving sinners. Meaning that in the Bible, God has revealed himself as the one who saves all sorts or all types of people. He saves those who are in authority and those who are not in authority. He saves those who are rich, and he saves those who are poor. He saves females, and he saves males. He saves those who are powerful, and he saves those who are powerless. He saves Jews, and he saves non-Jews. He saves from all people groups. He saves all types of people. This is the beauty that we are here rejoicing in. If Jesus just saved one kind of person, here's what I know. We would all blow it. We could never be that type of person. If Jesus said, here's the type of person I came to save, be it, we would all blow it in some form or some fashion. So here's the point. When it comes to saving sinners, the God of the Bible is he's partial to no nationality, to no language, to no status, to no gender, to no other distinction made among mankind. None of those distinctions count for us or none of those distinctions count against us. And none of them, no matter what you have done, excludes you from the saving work of God through Christ Jesus. May you hear that today. So what we're going to do in our time together is unpack three truths together related to the types of people that, that God saves through Jesus Christ. And I pray today that you will see yourself or find yourself in those and understanding and rejoicing in um, the fact that God has saved you. Or if you're here today and have never trusted Christ, that you will find yourself today um, hearing the, the word of God, um, filling the spirit of God and giving in to what he is asking you to do. So the first truth we're going to unpack today is this. God saves the restless and the rebellious. God saves the restless and the rebellious. If you can look over at Luke chapter 7 with me. Luke chapter 7. And I, I want to just kind of dissect this because think about the restless. God gives peace to the restless. Look at Luke 7 and we're going to pick up in verse 36. And Luke 7 verse 36 and when you get there, it says this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. 
what we can learn so far is she was not invited to this party. She knew and heard where Jesus was, and she wanted to be where he was. Verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, look at verse 48. And he, meaning Jesus, said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just follow with me here. A woman from the city who is a sinner, a prostitute, hears that Jesus is reclining at the table in the house of a Pharisee. And look what happens. I want you to envision yourself in this moment, in this room, at this party. See yourself sitting there staring at Jesus as he's reclining at the table. Then the door opens up and everyone wonders who is this woman? Her lip is quivering. She spots Jesus. She walks um, straight to him. She can no longer even contain herself. She throws herself on the floor in her shame and in her guilt. She's disgusted with herself and she is seeking from Jesus forgiveness and validation. The Pharisees, we read this, they delighted in her shame. In their eyes, because she's dirty, they're clean. They compare themselves to her sin and they feel a whole lot better. They loved that she felt shame. They fed off her shame. Listen, it is a telltale sign that you are a self-righteous person if you have no desire for sinful people to be forgiven. If you have no desire for sinful, sinful people to be forgiven, you are walking in self-righteousness. Meaning this, you are using them to make yourself feel better about yourself instead of understanding who you are in the sight of a holy God. So we have this woman who enters into the scene. She's completely devastated. She's broken. She's coming out of prostitution. She's walking in a great deal of shame and so much shame that the very sight of Jesus turns her into a broken individual on the floor before him. And yet the gospel is so profoundly powerful that Jesus tells her, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Please hear what Jesus did not say. He did not say, go in regret. He did not say, hey, go and get your life together. What are you doing? And he did not even say to her, you know, go out wishing you had a different life. He said, go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. This is the power of God's forgiveness for us that we come into his presence bearing shame and we leave his presence being forgiven. We come into his presence with chains on and we leave his presence with those chains torn off and ripped off by his power for he has set us free. 
Listen, not only does God give peace to the restless, God gives um, or breaks the pride of the rebellious. We see that here. He saves the restless and the rebellious. And the best person I thought of, and when I think about a rebellious person, the best example of someone who was rebellious against the person and work of Jesus is this guy named Saul of Tarsus. Maybe you know of him. Turn to Acts 9 um, with me. So in Acts 9, we have this guy named Saul. If there was ever a person who was not interested in becoming a Christian, it was Saul. If there was ever a person who rebelled against Jesus, it was Saul. And Saul made a mission out of his life of crushing this sect, um, this new sect in Judaism. He crushed anyone who believed in this, what he believed was a wayward cult. Anyone who proclaimed Christ, Saul wanted to crush them. And here's the thing, we have biblical and historical record of Saul imprisoning, beating, and even killing men, women, and children who belonged to Christianity. And just think about this guy. And then we read in Acts 9, when you get there, verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Think about that, breathing threats breathing murder he breathed in hatred he breathed out hatred he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way men or women he might bring them bound to jerusalem now as he went on his way he approached damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him verse 4 and falling to the ground he heard a voice saying to him saul saul why are you persecuting me And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So on the road to Damascus, Saul is is armed um, with letters and papers that allow him to continue persecuting any in this group of, of Christians. And on his way to Damascus, Saul is knocked off his horse literally knocked off his horse and he falls to the ground and he hears the question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And don't miss this. Saul is persecuting the church. Saul is persecuting Christians. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't separate those out. Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? which shows us that Jesus chooses to identify himself closely with his people. What you do to them, you are doing to him, is what he says very clearly. And then he reveals himself to Saul. And from that day forward, Saul, who would later be called Paul, faithfully serves Christ. And here's what I don't want you to miss. In that moment, God was not forcing Saul to love him. God simply, Jesus simply revealed himself, and upon that revelation to Saul's soul, there was a capturing of Saul's heart and life. Listen, when we see clearly what our souls were designed for, it's hard for us to continually reject that. When you see clearly what you were designed for, that God designed you for himself, And when you place yourself in a setting like this where the word of God is open, it is hard to keep rejecting that. Listen, I I pray that if you see what God made you to participate in, you will, by the Holy Spirit, by his grace, you'll want to join that. You'll want to join that. And some of you, by grace, I believe you will see that today. 
And you will join that today. J.I. Packer writes this about the invitation to believe the gospel. He says, um, it is God's summons to mankind to come to the Savior and find life. God is summoning, summoning you right now to come to Jesus and find life in him. Find freedom in him. Find forgiveness in him. Find in him one who takes away your shame. And anybody who does that, if you come to Jesus, even this very day, you will find rest for your soul. And here's what I love. This brother Saul, he was completely uninterested, yet as far as we know, he didn't have anyone else to break up that hardened ground in his life. The Lord just showed up in Saul's rebellion and brought Saul to his knees. And let me tell you why that's such good news for me and for you. I find myself, if I'm not careful, putting the burden of, of proof for someone else's salvation upon me. I go, man, if I was only smart enough to say this, maybe they would have responded differently. Or if I, if I approached it and had a better argument here, maybe. Or if, if I could just understand them a little better. If I could spend a little bit more time with them, maybe they would have accepted Christ. And I begin to put the burden of proof on myself, forgetting, hear this, I can't save anyone. Let me say it very clearly. This world has one Savior, and praise God, it's not me. Amen. And praise God, it's not you. This world has one Savior, and his name is Jesus. And he saves those who are restless, and he saves those who are rebellious. And I praise God for that because I was both. I was both, and I praise God for that. Secondly, not only does he save the restless and rebellious, God saves the religious and the rule follower. God saved the religious and the rule follower. Turn back to Luke 15. I want you to see in Luke 15, a very familiar passage to us. I'm going to assume that most of us kind of know this, especially where we're going to be in just a second. But in Luke 15, I want to just show you this just amazing picture of a teaching that Jesus is about to give. But Luke 15, verses 1 through 3. And when you're there, when the rest of you are there, or when you want me to keep going so we'll eventually finish? All right, so verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, meaning Jesus, told them this parable. So just understand this, that God welcomes the religious into a relationship with him. We read in verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners. This is our restless and our rebellious, right? This is who they are. But then we also see a different type of people, the Pharisees and the scribes in verse 2. These are the religious of religious people. They have religion down to a science. They know how to do religion. In fact, let me tell you, they're better at religion than you are. They're better at it than we are. They know how to do religion. And verse 3 is huge because it says, so he told them this parable, which is kind of weird because it should, it should say, in my mind, parables, because Jesus proceeds to tell three stories, the story of lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, the story of the prodigal son. In my mind, that's not parable, that's parables, except Jesus says, no, it's a parable because they all three have the same point. All of these have a singular point, and here's what I'm arguing today. 
The singular purpose of these parables, even that of the prodigal son, is not that there is grace and mercy um, and forgiveness for the tax collector and for the sinners, although that is absolutely true all over the word of God. But I believe here Luke 15 is an invitation to the Pharisees and the scribes, those who were religious. And here's the invitation. Get over yourself and become part of the kingdom of God. Get over yourself. And I, I think if Jesus can say that to the Pharisees, I believe on that authority I can say that to us today. There are some of you in this room, you need to get over yourself. Get over yourself. The world doesn't revolve around you. Get over yourself. Get over your preferences. Get over everything that you think makes the perfect church and realize the second you walked in, it ceased to be perfect. Get over yourself. Get over what you think Jesus wants to do for you and understand it's about what you're doing for him. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ, get over yourself. Stop saying he could never save me. He saved Paul. He saved prostitutes. He saved murderers. Here's the point. If he can save them, praise God, he can save you. Amen. Get over yourself. Maybe I just like hearing myself say that from the pulpit um, under the authority of, of Christ. But listen, forsake man-made religion that cannot save you for a relationship with a God who can save you. That is the point here. That's the message here. And then as we keep reading, God introduces the rule follower to grace. The third story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 is one that we are, I think, pretty familiar with. The story of the prodigal son. And let me just kind of sum it up real quick. So the third part of this parable, the story of the prodigal son. The younger of two sons asked his father, give me the inheritance that belongs to me. So the firstborn son would have got two-thirds. Um, the younger son would have got a third. So here's the point. Don't miss this. What the younger son is saying to the father, even though you're alive, dad, I wish you were dead. But because you're not dead, I want you to give me what's coming to me anyway. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to your father saying, Dad, my plan didn't work out because you're still alive. I wish you weren't alive, but you're still alive. But if you could just pretend you're dead and just give me what's mine. And so this father gives this son the money. And what does he do? He goes immediately and he blows it. We're talking prostitutes and partying beyond belief until he had nothing left. In fact, he finds himself in a pigsty, literally in a pigsty. And in that moment, we are told according to Scripture that he comes to himself. He had come to the end of himself. And here's what he says. Even my father's servants are living better than I'm living so he comes up with this plan. He said, I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to say to my dad, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. You will never forgive me. But dad, if maybe, just maybe, you'll let me be a servant. Maybe, just maybe, you'll let me live with them and serve you so that you will feed me. So he comes home and he's rehearsing this line in his head of what he's going to tell the father. And the second that the father sees him, he runs to him. He throws himself upon his son. And the son begins to give his speech. And the father says, that's nonsense. And he cuts him off. And instead, he hugs him. And he kisses him. And he welcomes him home. And he puts a robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger. And he says, we're killing the fatted calf. If you don't know what that means, it means we're having steak tonight, son. 
We're going to Sizzler is what he's saying. We're making it happen. We're bringing in the band. We are having a party of all parties. It's an amazing thing that we see here. But then all of a sudden we're reminded of the older son. And don't miss this. We, we make the main point of this story the prodigal son. But in Jesus' mind, the main point of the story was the one who stayed home. It was that the oldest son, and don't miss this, the older brother had not left his father's side. The older brother was a rule follower. He's our firstborn. He came out of the womb saying, give me the rules and I'll do them. Firstborn, right? Can't live with them. Can't live without them. And, and the older brother, the older brother, at least in his mind, listen to what he's thinking. He's thinking, I've nailed all the rules. Every rule I've Nailed. And so he's about to tell us about it because that's another firstborn trait. They never stop telling us about all the things that they do right. Can I get an amen from those that aren't firstborn? Okay, there we go. Thank you very much. Kelly, every opportunity I get, I'm I'm sorry. One day you'll get the pulpit and it will be bad uh, for, for, for me. But just think about this. Think about what's happening here. So the older son, in his mind, I've not left my father. I'm the great rule follower, especially compared to my little brother. And look at verse 29. In fact, let's not do this. Let's do verse 26. So this is the older brother. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. So what's this music going on? What's this partying that's going on? Verse 27, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, meaning the older brother, was angry and he refused to go in. That's also a, never mind, never mind. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I never disobeyed your command. Like, really? really? You never disobeyed your parents ever? Like, really? And here's the deal. When we're comparing ourselves to the other person, the rule breaker, it's easy for us to do that. When we compare ourselves to that person who's worse than us, it's easy for us to go, compared to them, I've never done anything wrong. They're nailing all the wrong. So he says, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this young, or this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So listen to the son. He's going, Dad, he's terrible. I'm good. You shouldn't be doing this. I obeyed all the rules better than he has. Why would you choose, Father, to celebrate a rule breaker when me, the rule follower, is right here in your presence? I did all that you commanded. I never left you. I've done all you've asked me to do. Why are you celebrating him? And listen to what the father says in verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Listen, God's heart towards the self-righteous is this. He's saying to his older son, Son, this is your party too. Son, You can eat steak with us. Son, 
They're playing your song too. The band is playing your song. Enter in. Come to the party. It's not just his party. It is your party. And you are welcome. The problem with the rule followers, the rule follower says, well, if they're in, I don't want to be in. If they're in, I don't want to be in. And here's the beauty. Grace is offered not only to the religious, but also to the scorekeeper. But here's the thing. The religious has to lay down their religiousness, but the scorekeeper has to lay down their scorecards. The scorekeeper has to lay down their scorecards. Because here's what we do. We go, look how good I am. Because we're so busy comparing ourselves with everybody else. And we forget that Jesus says, listen, you want to get there? You want to get to heaven? Be perfect. And Jesus has not lessened his standards at all. So our scorecards, as great as they are in our human mind, when God gives us his scorecard, we are all in trouble. Therefore, we must lay our scorecards down. So not only does God save the restless and the rebellious, not only does he save the religious and the rule follower, lastly, and this is beautiful, God saves from Every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. God saves from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. The God of the Bible is the God of the universe. Yesterday I was talking with Malachi. And we were, he was playing. I was sitting there and he began to, to sing um, Joy to the World. But he's saying he rules the world with truth and grace. And I stopped him and I said, buddy, who rules the world? And at first he said, I do. And I said, I know you think that, and we have failed as parents because you probably believe that in your mind for just a second, like all of our kids sometimes believe that. But I said, no, buddy, who, who is that? Who rules the world? And he said, Jesus. And I said, absolutely. And he said, I didn't know he ruled the world. And I was like, yeah, buddy, he rules every part of the world. And when we understand that, it changes everything. For he has, um, not only he rules the world, he has made people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people, and he has redeemed, and he has made it very clear, and he has even now seeking people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people who will worship him. In fact, the book of Revelation gives us a picture of all cultures coming together laying down their cultural treasures and they're presenting their treasures to the culture maker right now all over the world over the last 24 hour kind of a 24 hour window men and women are gathering all throughout this world and they're worshiping jesus just like we are now i would say this they're probably worshiping jesus better than we are because they have more skin in the game than we do meaning some of them are worshiping jesus right now and there are people out hunting them looking for them, wanting to imprison them, wanting to kill them, and yet they are still worshiping because Jesus is worthy of that. There, there are brothers and sisters who are going to meet together and they're going to read the word of God and they're going to hear it proclaimed just like we are. They're going to gather in large group settings. They're going to gather in small group settings. They're going to gather in, in houses. Many are going to gather in, in hiding. They're going to they're going to sing, they're going to shout, they're going to dance before the Lord. They're going to preach the gospel, they're going to rejoice in the gospel, they're going to seek the Lord with their whole being. Right now, as we saw in this video earlier, we can watch as God spreads his gospel all over the globe. And even better, we can participate at whatever level the Lord is calling us to. But God is the one that's going to do it. He is going to do it. Revelation 7 says this. I don't know if this means anything to you, but it should. 
Behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Meaning this, Jesus made a way for you to be included too. He made a way for me to be included as well. He came to save people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people, and that's the only reason you're in. And that's the only reason I'm in. That's, that's why God the Son came into the world. It's why he was born to simple peasants. It's why a feeding trough was his first bed. It's why shepherds were the first to worship him. It's why pagan Gentiles that we call the wise men were also invited to worship him. It's why he was raised in Nazareth. It's why he was rejected by his own people. It's why after preaching the gospel of grace, after healing the sick, after casting out the demons, after raising the dead, he was still betrayed by a close friend and he was denied and abandoned by his other close friends. He was falsely accused by the religious leaders. He was handed over to Gentile oppressors. He was brutally crucified in the most humiliating way. And it's why he was also raised from the dead. Jesus came for all people. Hear this. Everyone is invited. Everyone gets in the same way. The price has already been paid. Don't miss it. Maybe you're here this morning, and in this moment, God is stirring something in your heart. Let me say this, and please hear this. Regardless of where you are today, don't make your home there any longer. Let me say this today. If you're living right now in shame, regret, unforgiveness, religiousness, scorekeeping, wherever you are. Don't make your home there any longer. Stop standing against what God has done for you. Stop thinking that you're too bad. Stop thinking that God would never or could never save you. Or if you're saved, stop thinking that God um, would never forgive you for that, whatever that is. I want to put one more verse on the screen. I want you to see this. It's Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. And maybe we, this is not the go-to verse, but listen to this. Hear this. This is amazing. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And let me give you the translation. You've got to see this because this is the translation. The translation is this. God doesn't have T-Rex arms. And God isn't saying, I want to save you, but I can't reach you. If only my arms were longer, I could reach down and I could get you, but I, I can't reach you because my arms are too short. You are in trouble. I wish I could, but I can't. That's not what he's saying. Instead, we invert that, and here's what God is saying. God is saying, my arms are long enough to reach you wherever you are. That's the beauty of it. And God is also saying this, and I will hear you if you cry out to me in faith. Here's the beauty. Jesus is saying, God is telling us, my arms will reach you no matter where you are. No matter where you are, God will reach down and he will pull you up out of the miry pit of, of clay and shame and disappointment and guilt. He will reach out, he will put pull you up, and he will set your feet upon the rock, and he will hear you if you cry to him in faith. 
Therefore, come away from all the complexities, all the confusion, all the clutter. Even come away from the chains that are in your life. Come to the manger. Come to the cross. Come to the empty tomb. Come and receive again the good news of great joy for all people that includes you. Listen, Christmas tells us the works of Satan have been destroyed. Christmas tells us that our chains have been broken. Jesus says the Son is free, has set you free. You are free indeed. I want you to think, real quick, think about your spiritual life. If you look down at your hands right now, maybe not outwardly, but you can see the chains in around you, you know that you are bearing guilt and shame and you are carrying chains around you. Let me, let me say this to you today. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, see those chains fall off today. He has set you free and you are free indeed. You can be free indeed. The free gift of eternal life can be yours today. What good news of great joy for all people this is. And here's the beauty. Jesus included you included you i'm gonna go ahead and ask you to stand as we are entering a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever it is that god is telling us to do that we would do it and let us pray together and i pray that the holy spirit if you're here today and you don't know jesus the holy spirit would not give you a moment of peace until you call upon the name of the lord and are saved Maybe today you're here and those chains are, are back on because you've put them back on. I pray that they would be released from you today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. In an amazing sense, Lord, not the, the message maybe some of us even thought about, but the beauty is, Jesus, you came to save all types of people. And the beauty is, oh God, regardless of the type, we're included. Jesus, you came for us. You are the way. You are the door. We can come to the Father through you. We pray today for any in this place that do not know you, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. For others in this room, that right now they are saved, but yet the chains are back on. Oh, in Jesus' name, we pray for those chains to be broken today. We pray that they would understand afresh and anew the freedom that you desire for them. And they would walk in that freedom knowing as Jesus told that woman in prostitution, that woman just ate up with, with shame. Jesus said, go in peace. You are forgiven. God, I pray that people would walk out of these doors today in peace. In peace and in freedom because of you. Finish this time today in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.